Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. This is the broadcast, HCL Watch, Big Week Review. I'm Greg Masters, your host. We're trying something a little different today, putting a little music, jazz up the introduction. We'll see how that works since I'm a one-man show here. You know, your host, the broadcaster, the engineer, the sound engineer, and the creator of this social media production in the ACO sphere. And today, we are going to try something a little different. By the way, I'm Greg Masters, your host. I'm the publisher of the blog, ACOWatch.com, and also known on Twitter as Two Health Guru. I'm glad you could join us today, either live or via downstream digital participation. We are broadcasting our 15th segment in this weekly series that monitors and informs the emerging accountable care organization industry. And we're going to try something different today from our typical setup with a guest commentator or co-host. Since we've been rather busy doing other things, principally attending and reporting from the HIMSS conference in Orlando and participating as a planner in uh, Health Camp San Diego in conjunction with the Health 2.0 Spring Flame pre-conference activities. It just hasn't been enough time in each day to get everything done. So on this broadcast, I will replay a prior segment with Jeff Cohen, Jeffrey Cohen, who authored the blog on ACO Watch. Uh, ACOs now are just being silly. It's kind of funny. It's insightful. He's uh, been there, done that, been through this process a number of times, particularly in the early days of the rollout of managed care. So he offers some insights from that perspective. So I'll rebroadcast that here just momentarily. And uh, if you can stay with us, we're going to wind up the program talking about what's on tap in terms of our future broadcasts as well as some news. There's actually some rumbling in the news relative to ACOs. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be back after Jeff concludes his broadcast or his interview. Thanks again. Welcome to ACO Watch Midweek Review. I am your host, Greg Masters, publisher of the blog ACOWatch.com and known to some on Twitter as Two Health Guru. This is the 11th broadcast in our weekly series that monitors the emergence of the accountable care organization industry. Joining me today as special guest commentator is Jeffrey L. Cohen Esquire. Jeff has over 20 years of healthcare law experience. He's board certified by the Florida Bar as a specialist in healthcare law and is a self-described frustrated comedian. More on that later. As founder of the Florida Healthcare Law Firm, Jeff can be reached by email at jcohen, that's J-C-O-H-E-N, at floridahealthcarelawfirm.com, or reached via the web of the same name, that being www.floridahealthcarelawfirmalloneword.com. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for asking me to join you. Glad, glad you can make it from uh, from the southeast today. Jeff, you and I have not met in real life other than a quasi-collaboration uh, on the web 
primarily in the form of, um, of us reposting two of your original pieces that you authored. Uh, we put them on acowatch.com. Uh, those being, number one, doctors, the sky is not falling, and then more recently, ACOs, now we're just being silly. Now, in reading your work, I was struck by your apparent been-there-done-that wisdom, but more so by your wit and insights as a storyteller. So for the benefit of our audience, let's do a deeper dive today into context, but also the narrative on which those two opinion pieces are based. So first up, sure. is the sky falling? And why not give us some historical context? Thanks. You know, the, the impetus behind those articles was one event, which is I went to a, uh, a presentation given by another healthcare attorney, and the communication was uh, essentially everybody should be terrified and uh, everybody should buy what I'm selling. And, and I said, you know, it's, it's stunning to me because it's a repeat message that I remember back in the 90s when PHOs, physician hospital organizations, and CHIPAs, community health purchasing alliances, were being rolled out, and physicians became immediately convinced that it was the end of fee-for-service medicine and that they were going to have to practice in a capitated environment. And so it, it went through the community like a shockwave, at least in Florida it did. And I was very inspired by listening to the message that I heard that night to dig into the to, to the healthcare reform law and to remember where I've been over the past 25 years as a lawyer who's practiced in healthcare law. And I find remarkable similarities to the past in Florida, and I find remarkable uh, inadequacies in the proposed fix-all that's contained in the uh, health care reform law. And that's really what's driven me to poke fun at it and uh, and have and, and enjoy doing it. Well, you do it well. Uh, interesting, uh, I had a client in the uh, mid-90s, speaking of that time frame, and, and I was asked the question uh, with a somewhat high degree of fear behind the question, which was, Greg, just how far do you, th you know, what share of the market do you think these capitated plans are going to concern, you know, going to consume? And what do you think my pair mix is going to look like, you know, at a micro practice level? And I thought about it for a minute and I said, uh, well, I said, could go as high as 80% if you keep, um, if you factor in per case payments, per diems, um, all inclusive rates. And then the the capitated or the entire spectrum of managed care contracts, in some way your revenue stream is fixed by contract. So it could be as much as eighty percent, giving leaving room for the all other. And I probably was not too far off on that estimate. Yeah, yeah. I mean clearly, you know, the market's changed and I think one of the messages that uh, people who think and talk about this sort of thing, healthcare reform and healthcare in general. It can give is that, you know, no matter what happens with this law, the marketplace is forever changed again in a, in a somewhat uh, leap-like fashion. So, I, I mean, we're here talking about not just the law, but how the marketplace has responded to it. And it's fascinating to me. Well, before we – so do you work primarily in Florida? Yeah, most of our, our work uh, of the lawyers in this 
Purvis in the state of Florida. In the state of Florida. Is, yeah, it's a little bit like the Wild West. I would I was thinking before I called you that it's a little bit it reminds me of Yule Brenner's Westworld down here <laughs> with the, the robots acting as gunslingers. Because we try everything and it's it's a hugely experimental and proprietary kind of marketplace and uh, unlike lots of places in the country, we don't really have as many huge physician groups. And uh, so there are a lot of people who plug it out on their own and uh, try to innovate and try new things. And, and uh, that makes the marketplace, I think, a lot more interesting. It is, uh, is solo practice the predominant uh, mode of practice in Florida? I'd say the vast majority of doctors are in practices of four doctors and less. Four and less. And yep. of the aggregators, if you will, who's leading the class right now? Who's trying to integrate or roll them up, as they say? They're getting rolled up. The, the charge is really being led on a single specialty basis. And the promoters tend to be healthcare attorneys, uh, accountants, and, of course, uh, physician entrepreneurs. Uh, some of those physician entrepreneurs, by the way, uh, were extremely successful in the 90s when they came out and led, if, you, if you'll recall, physician networks that did business on a capitated basis with uh, payers. And they've come back and they're leading large uh, 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 physician groups, typically on a single specialty basis. Yeah, the uh, physician practice management industry had about a 10-year run on Wall Street, and they basically bankrupted most of the practices that they bought by selling paper to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, and that was a, a fascinating time as well, you know, and they talked about physician practice management, but it really didn't involve physicians. It involved their revenues, and it didn't involve management at all. Um, and, and that was, in my experience, one of these other promises and hopes and innovations, if you will. And that's a lot how I look at at, um, at ACOs right now is a, uh, a, a proposed fix-all that is a redo, a rehash of what we saw in the 90s. You know, it should be uh, primary care-led. Uh, it should be prepared to bear risk uh, financially. The only new innovation that that I notice about the healthcare reform law from the past is that there's actually a requirement that it track and measure uh, and meet certain quality standards. That's new. Right, right. And of course, as we sit here, we're broadcasting on uh, February the 16th, 2011, and we eagerly await the release of the first round of notice of proposed rules, which are to implement the provisions of the Affordable Care Act as it relates to accountable care organizations. And other than the broad brush guidance we have in the law, there's really mostly the devil's in the details here. Yeah, it's anybody's uh, anybody's bet at this point. In Florida, what we're really saying, I don't know how much the, the country keeps an eye on Florida, probably California and Florida mostly, but in Florida, what we're seeing is hospital system-driven models, and the hospital systems uh, typically have uh, a large stash of specialist-employed physicians, uh, a much uh, smaller stash of primary care physicians, 
huge amount of fear in the physician marketplace and a lot of confusion about what to do about it. Is that the link you were drawing between ACOs and irritable bowel syndrome? There is a rumbling effect. So interesting. Maybe the entire state of Florida could be kind of the case study for what does an ACO look like when institutional players are taking the charge, taking the lead? Exactly. I mean, you know, one of the things that's most vexing to me is the whole idea that you can propose something like an ACO and have it result somehow in cost savings when you have such a huge aggregation in the market, which I think is likely to drive the prices up. Uh, I, I think that's almost a, a, a done deal. And if you look at what's happening in Florida as, as an example of what could happen in other parts of the country, the most expensive link in the chain, hospitals, are is the player that's taking the lead in ACO formation. So I think it's one of the the head scratchers in, in all of this for me is how is the most expensive link in the chain that I think is primarily motivated by market protection, not cost reduction and quality enhancement, how are they going to accomplish the stated ACO objectives? And most of the hospital systems don't even have a sufficient number of primary care physicians to manage and control utilization and costs. And if we look at the experience back in the 90s of PHOs, most physicians will not and do not step up to manage and control the behavior of their colleagues. There aren't sufficient mechanisms in place. They're not empowered to do it. And it just seems like to me that uh, conceptually the models And is there any local physician leadership stepping forward here, you know, with that as a backdrop? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations, uh, and, uh, you know, a handful of very strong physician leaders and physician organizations, medical societies and the like, that are still looking about, okay, how do we empower physicians to take a leadership role in ACO development? And operations. And, you know, the nature of physicians and medical practices being so time consuming uh, really puts them at a huge disadvantage. And yet, I think anybody who thinks about ACOs and anything, any similar kind of organization understands physicians have to play not a lot more than an active role in order to ensure that uh, quality cost concerns don't overrun the quality concerns. Yeah, that, that, that's a provision of this new law that, that, that contrasts it from where we were in the past. Um, of course, we, what we have today is we're almost at 18% of GDP, and uh, the only way the health insurance industry seems to stay in business is to continually cost shift <laughs> to the employee. Yes. Otherwise, premiums would be just far more unaffordable than they already are today, you know. But let, let me ask you this about Florida. Now, Florida is uh, 
they can, like, if hospitals are taking or hospital parent systems are taking the lead here in ACO formation, driving the uh, West World bus, so to speak, um, is that they can hire directly into an entity because they don't have corporate practice of medicine restrictions, per se, do they? That you're right. They don't. Um, so unlike most of the states in the country, uh, Florida is one of those states where hospitals and hospital systems can directly employ physicians, and they do it quite a bit. Um, HCA has uh, significant uh, commitment of resources in that direction. Tenants looking at it, and a lot of the community-based hospitals uh, have large employer, employed physician groups. I mean, of 100, 200 physicians. So uh, there's been a lot of, um, um, I don't know, siloing into your respective specialty interests that come up as maybe a circle the wagons type of uh, strategy here for medical specialties. Where's primary care in this conversation? You know, <laughs> it's a good question. You know, primary care, unlike, not unlike all the physicians, I think the primary care physicians look at ACO somewhat like fish oil. You know, they they don't particularly like the way it looks or tastes or smells, but they know they should be taking it every day. So they're looking at ways to affiliate. I know that the the uh, their professional organizations are trying to figure out: do they join with with existing ACO uh, efforts, or do they create their own? For example, the pediatric ACO is not a new concept. And uh, and I know the family physicians and internists are looking also at patient-centered medical homes. Um, they are. Uh, it's a, it looks to me like what they're they're trying to find out where they fit in, and that's a huge stretch in Florida because we have a very serious primary care shortage, uh, which is one of the things that I use to poke fun at ACOs because if the primary care, if the, if, the, if the involvement of primary care physicians is essential to managing and controlling costs and quality, and we don't have enough of those guys to go around, how are we going to get that job done? The way primary care medicine is evolving in Florida is to download the responsibilities of the physician to PAs, nurse practitioners, medical assistants, and the like. And um, it, it's a very concerning thing, even among the primary care physicians, when they feel such a huge responsibility for uh, holding the line on quality. At the same time, they really are very interested in stepping up to the plate because I think they see that there's a tremendous opportunity in not just healthcare reform, but healthcare marketplace reform. You see, we see a lot of emergence in the in the um, uh, proprietary side as well, with physicians, primary care physicians, opening urgent care centers, walk-in centers, and uh, going after that market as well. Yeah, I, I love your reading from your 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 article. It's uh, what is clear about ACO so far is that they're big business, and there's a huge interest among hospital systems in preparing for a battle royale with other hospital systems. 
medical practices alike, have integration fever and are ready to jump into nearly any mega practice arrangement that comes along. Consultants with everything to sell, from legal services to healthcare consulting services, are busy selling in an environment where the model has quickly become do something, anything. <laughs> and, and I absolutely love this. It's been reported that nearly half the attendees at the 2010 ACO Congress in Los Angeles were lawyers and consultants. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what? You know. And it, but you know, again, it reminds me of the '90s with the PHOs and Chippas, and the PHOs were that was the promised land. Right. You know, and us guys that are making a living hourly and doing the best we can. We were totally pushed aside when consultants out of the large consulting firms, you know, the big CPA firms, came along and showed hospitals how to set up PHOs. And, yeah. and while us healthcare attorneys and, and people who've been working in the field are scratching our heads going, okay, that doesn't make any sense and that's not going to work. Or as one colleague of mine told me, listen, I, I have to tell you, he said, I represent the most successful PHO in the entire state of Florida. I said, really? He said, yep. We have 11 insured people, and they're all desperately ill. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> it, you know, and that's why you don't hear those letters put together anymore, PHO. Right. It's not a good it's yeah. not a good word, but now we have ACO. Right. <laughs> right. Which, you know, somebody... Somebody once wrote, that it, was, it wasn't me, I read it somewhere. He said, you know, the problem with accountable care organizations is that they're, they lack accountability, they don't really focus on care, and there's no organization involved. It's just led by a, by a system that's been in business for a long time. Right. You look so, at Kaiser and, and all of them. I mean, they've, they, they've been doing this stuff for a long time. So you, you, you touch on what I... Uh, given some uh, attention to, which is when, when one thinks about ACOs and who's going to, um, who, who, who's bleeding the pack there, you go, the mind, at least for me, automatically migrates to the mature IDNs, the uh, uh, Mayo, Geisinger, Kaiser, you know, group health and so forth. But in truth, that this thing's going to work. It's got to get into granular medicine, you know, the solely onesie twosies out there to really make a difference in terms of Medicare and certainly. Well, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, right now, ACOs, what I see is the tail is totally wagging the dog. It's the business considerations that are way out in front of the clinical considerations. I mean, in terms of what's going on in the marketplace, it's, uh, you know, hospital systems, IDNs as well that say, hey, listen, don't worry. We're going to, develop an ACO. And there's nobody there's nobody with any clinical background involved in that announcement. There's no yeah. vision that involves any physicians. Right. Uh, you know, it, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's this token appointment of a medical director or sort of an internal quote raving fan who has institutional, if not loyalties, institutional sensitivities, but street cred from the medical peer point of view, but that wears out pretty quickly unless it's built out into more, you know, diversified, granular, on the foot, you know, um, uh, on on the ground support by by mainstream docs in the community. I agree because the guys that are leading the charges for the systems 
are people that are employed by the systems. They're their chief medical officers, etc., who are completely accountable to their employer. And they, like you say, they lose their credibility pretty quick. You know, you know it's particularly almost... in a command and control model, which is really what we see in Florida. So, so uh, for me, what it always comes back to is culture. You know, institutional yeah. culture that are the the places where you know hospital administrators through the American College of Healthcare Executives sort of grow up in <laughs> are just not the culture that is the alchemy of physicians. I mean, they, they nope. just, it's just like oil and water. And and any yeah. attempt, yeah, any attempt to sort of forge that in a command and control business plan is destined to fail. that's never been fit for your practice. 
or whatever it is, and out of fear, physicians are buying lots of long, uh, lots of solutions that have really far-reaching consequences. So, first of all, educate. Second of all, uh, slow down. And third of all, um, when they hear the word ACO and they hear that their hospitals involved in ACO development, they got to get to the table to at least have the dialogue. And hopefully those are open doors where that's playing out. Yeah, in some institutions I've been told that, uh, for example, hospital-based physicians, they're told not to come. You know, when you start to tell your anesthesia, pathology, radiology, uh, perinatology, whatever it is that you have as a hospital-based uh, group, and you tell them, hey, listen, we really don't need your input on this, this new system, comprehensive system, that's going to control costs and improve quality, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge uh, alert. For, for physicians, and they ought to be really concerned about it. Those physicians that are hearing that are going, okay, well, we're not able to be at the table. What do we do without physician, without hospital leadership? What's available um, on the order of, bis- of market or business innovation that reduces costs, increases uh, quality? And there's a lot going on outside that whole hospital-led ACO conversation, too. Help me understand the basis for that uninvitation to hospital-based docs. But what's behind that? Yeah, my 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 belief is that you know there's a lot of this kind of command and control management um, style between uh, hospital systems and physicians, and you know, unfortunately, the you know the, the whatever's needed to run a hospital and hospital system on a daily basis. I think is a remarkably different skill set than forming a business with a physician partner. So and I think they- that what we're seeing is is, is is hospital systems that are used to running the hospital on a daily basis and who have not made the leap to, oh, we're actually going to be in business with our medical staff. Right. So... I that that leads me to another question I have about the voluntary medical staff. Does it have a future? But um, do you think that energy is driven by either the arrogance that we already own you and know you, you're in service to the institution on the one hand, or is it more of, well, you're already seen as sellouts by the private medical staff. Uh, we don't need hospital-based physicians involved because you're seen as sellouts. I mean, no, I don't think it's the second. I think it's the first okay. because, you know, yeah, the groups that we represent around the state have tremendous value to bring to the table and in terms of quality and cost. And uh, in some instances, not all, but in some instances, the systems are basically saying, uh, you remember that piece of paper that we signed that says that you get to work here, but we can fire you at any time? Yeah, that paper. Um, we really don't need you here at all, so uh, we'll let you know when we need you. Well, yeah, so it is that kind of command and control type, type of model. Now, that's scary. Now, <clears throat> I know your your prism is primarily Florida, but uh, are yeah. these uh, are these sort of generalized uh, uh, 
can we generalize this, or is this a, a Florida phenomenon? I, you know what? I, I think Florida, Florida is a collect, like everywhere else, is a collection of so many communities, and um, in, in terms of medical practice and healthcare delivery, you can go literally up the road, and, and you'll find a medical staff that has totally collaborative relationship with administration and then go in the other direction and find ones that are odds, at odds with each other. But I think that the, the dynamic that I'm describing is something that exists all around the country. And I think the hospitals are going to find out if, if there's any significant investment in something like an ACO, hospitals are going to find out that those vehicles become immobile without physician leadership, without physician buy-in, without physician support. I mean, if they want to change the behavior of physicians in the hospital to be something that's much more financially smart and quality productive, there's only one group of people that can change that. And it's not administration. It's physicians educating other physicians and taking leadership. And the key there is, okay, how do you engage them? Because the financial incentives being what they are, they, they're just not incented to participate in process or culture building. You know, I mean, how does that happen? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great a great observation because, you know, and, and, and it's an explanation of why hospital systems have taken control, um, at least in this marketplace. You know, doctors have neither the time the access to capital, the management expertise, uh, the business expertise to take on those particular functions that are required for a successful business model. But they possess the other uh, skills and qualifications. You know, how are they going to step up? I think I think it's going to probably we'll see a wave of ACOs that are that are hospital led that struggle and fail. Just like we saw PHS do the same thing, and you, you, there will be some emerging system somewhere, maybe in Minnesota, where the where where the administration of the hospital system realizes uh, the the need for physicians, and they empower them uh, in in every way possible, including financially. It's very difficult for people that are focused on saving my life and the lives of patients every day to take the time and uh, build a better mousetrap. But they, there needs to be every conceivable resource to empower them to do it, just like administration is obtaining all the consulting and outside support to do what they need to do. So two things. One, you in this conversation, <clears throat> health plans haven't come up once as a potential institutional partner. And secondly, if you were guiding docs who were looking at ACO strategy, would you advise them to have an institutional partner? And might it be one of those two? Good question. You know, the only time I've ever been asked that and answered it before was in, in connection with a group of physicians, a large group of physicians that said, you know what, um, could we just end run these ACOs and contract directly with the payers? Well, why wait for the ACOs? Why don't we just 
contract directly with the payer on a risk basis. And and uh, and my reaction was absolutely smart. You got to do that. If you got enough critical mass in terms of geographic coverage and the ability to cover large patient volume, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, payers. I think payers are sitting in the stands, you know, eating popcorn, watching us do what we're doing right now. I think they're watching the market aggregation, and they're waiting to find out who's going to come to them. I don't see payers getting out of the stands, coming down onto the field, and looking for new relationships. Uh, you know, it's. <clears throat> I was poking around the Weiss ratings recently. You know, they rank. You know, it's kind of like the Moody's of HMOs, uh, financial uh, solvency. And I, I just did a state search for the weakest and strongest, and I found some names on the weakest that one would not expect to see, particularly here in California. So I'm wondering, <laughs> you know, I'm wondering if payers and health plans are looking at the ACO banan as a potential bonanza to breathe life into, hey, look at us. We've got infrastructure for all the things you need to do to manage risk. Let us be your institutional partner. Do you think there's some possibility <laughs> you know, It's possible, but I've never thought so because that would require transparency. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? And I don't think. I don't see payers as having any transparency. I mean, even if you're an ACO and you, whatever, you know, you're wildly successful, and now it's come, it's come time to measure your cost savings, and you're going to get your check, and it's a great day. Whose books are you looking at? Yeah. <laughs> and how do you verify it? You know, so they've true. just done a remarkable uh, job of being not transparent. You know, I, I think it's more likely that hospitals and physicians will find ways to collaborate in powerful and effective ways than it is for physicians or hospitals and payers to do it. I do, too. I just think that, you know, as far as some of that infrastructure, whether it's claims, whether it's eligibility, whether it's, you know, coverage determinations, they seem to have, you know, some of that capabilities that they might rent or lease or private label. Yeah, my, I mean, my favorite latest insurance practice to watch over the past year or so is how they've offloaded the burden onto insurance. And so insurance co-pays and deductible uh, obligations have skyrocketed. So what do they do? They just don't get any health care anymore. <laughs> they don't so, go to the doctor, and they don't go to the hospital like they used to. So true. And again, that that's a why why might it be different this time versus the '90s? It's it's so much truer that the the level of uh, coverage is declining from an employer-sponsored uh, benefit plan perspective. The nature of the un, the coverage that's underwritten is dramatically different, you know, with co-pays, co-insurance, and non-covered services. I mean. Yeah. We're beyond diminishing returns as to the value of your typical health benefit plan. It's like there's no there right. there anymore. You know, by the time you, you finish co-pays, co-insurance, and deductibles, it's like, what am I getting here? What am I paying for? Exactly. You're paying for bus coverage. That's <laughs> it. You get hit by a bus, you got coverage. That's there it. You go. There you that's go. That's really it. You know, it's, it, it, to me, that's 
one of the most telling things in the entire healthcare uh, reform conversation is the behavior of insurance companies. They have a remarkable Cheshire Cat way of sitting back and watching physicians and hospitals obliterate each other. And at the same time, they just put the squeeze on. They are the silent majority partner, you know. And what, and, and when they and when they see what hope goes on with, you know, how they've offloaded their burden to the to the patients, and, you know. And now we're waiting for some rules to come out on ACOs. I bet you there'll be just about nothing that deals with the behavior of the insurance industry um, on, uh, you know, in, in, in this in this reform model. I think it's all going to get focused on hospitals and physicians, and and I think we got a problem. But I think we got a problem anyway. So Jeff, let's get you on record. Will it be different this time? No. How's that? Are you truly a skeptic? No. Huh? I, I really believe that we're so far off that it's the 90s again. I also am one of the people that thinks when the issue goes to the uh, United States Supreme Court, that Justice Kennedy is probably going to swing with the, with the vote that says, you know, the law, it's not constitutional. Wow. So... Yeah, I, I you know I, I know that there's I don't even know whether it puts me in the majority or minority, but I I am I, I think that the ACO um, concept is so fatally flawed that it's so stuck in theory and so divorced from practice that it it just doesn't have good future at all. Can but it be tweaked? Here's an interesting thing. Well, I think the market's tweaking it. Uh-huh. I think the marketplace is going to evolve in a in a similar looking direction as the regulation, even without the regulation. I think there's a there's an integration frenzy. I think there's an innovation frenzy. I think there's a lot of capital dollars, you know, investment money available. Um, unlike you know, it used to be available, on, on, you know, in the stock market. There's a lot of VC money that is that people are looking to put into innovative models. So I think it's really being market driven, and will continue to be market driven for a long time. So are are we seeing uh, <clears throat> ACO market managers, if you will, that are much like the physician practice management companies uh, that we saw on Wall Street? Is is that an entity that we're that we're starting to see? Yeah, there's a whole a whole blooming industry. Uh, you know, they're using the term ACO, but essentially they're integration and operational specialists. Hmm. I'm just wondering if they're achieving the level of having a label, you know, that, that, that you know, because aggregation, we're really talking aggregation, integration, and, uh, yeah. you know, outside of the, uh, of the, uh, the provincial markets, the service area of a particular hospital, hospital system, they, they don't have sort of broad, you know, national or regional perspective per se. So here comes these entrepreneurs who say, well, you know, we can look at it from that perspective. Let's go see who are candidates. We can go out there and roll up. Yeah, I have a feeling that, you know, in terms of being uh, uh, a business, 
right now it's just too early. And I think that a lot of the consultants are keeping their heads down because they're not sure of the outcome. Right. I think they're doubtful of the outcome as well. Nor do they have answers. No. no. Right? I mean, I mean you know, yeah, they, they ask an awful lot of questions. It's pretty easy to stay with the recipe. Okay, well, form the legal entity, you know, blah, 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 get the participation agreements. Okay, then what? You know, how, how yeah. do we do this? I just, you know, I, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, you know this from the articles that are written, but I, I just, uh, I think we're just too far. Uh, I think concept, I think the theory of, of reform and uh, what actually is going on in these, the disparate communities. Uh, there's just too wide a gulf, and uh, I, I think they're try, trying to paint. I think the legislators, even though uh, well-intentioned, even though there is tremendous need for change in the marketplace, there's a lot of waste, and a lot of people who aren't getting what they're paying for. Uh, even though, I, I just think that they're painting with such a broad brush um, I mean, you can see it in, in the law itself. And uh, there's a, a million places in the healthcare reform law that basically says, "Oh, and the secretary of CMS will figure the rest out." In other words, right. we just want to get our foot in the door. Right. Right. We just want to get some broad concepts right. down on paper. But the 98 other concepts out of the hundred, uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, those those are, those are three words in, in the law: the secretary shall. And uh, yeah. it's, it's it's rather liberally used. Well, look, well, Jeff, I want to let you know that uh, I'm delighted you could join us today. We have about 90 seconds to wind this down. And um, uh, I, I want you to know that you fall into the category of, um, of um, um, Kent Bottles, who's one of our social media peers, Dr. Kent Bottles. He thinks we're going to muddle through. He's very skeptical. He's, he doesn't see, he doesn't have uh, much optimism here. So I think the two of you are in the same camp. As far as David Harlow, who writes the health, the health law blog, he, he thinks, uh, he's a little more optimistic on, on, on the law and its eventuality. But I'm struck by your analysis of the likely outcome at the Supreme Court. That's pretty pessimistic. Um, so anyway, thanks again for joining us today, Jeff. Hope we uh, meet in real life one of these days. Thoroughly enjoy uh, your writing, and we'll continue to republish it uh, on ACRWatch.com. Thanks so much, Greg. You bet. Take care now. All right. That was Jeffrey L. Cohen, founder and partner of the uh, FloridaHealthCareLawFirm.com. Next week, my guest will be... William DeMarco of Pendulum Health. DeMarco is the president and CEO of DeMarco and Associates, a national independent healthcare consultant firm specializing in healthcare delivery and design. Please join us then. This is Greg Masters. Thanks for listening. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I thoroughly did. It was my second or third time listening to Jeff. I really dig his insights and Interesting, in this uh, real-time uh, water cooler known as Twitter, um, I got notice uh, from Jeff while uh, I have been tweeting the rebroadcast of the segment um, that I would um, – oh, he uh, <clears throat> I invited him to call in, and he's apparently on a call. Uh, we'll see if he can join us. We've got about 11 minutes remaining in this broadcast, but um, – so I'm going to see about uh, opening 
a couple documents here. You know, the, it, it never ends. One of my little tools, which will be no secret to anybody in this space, uh, is to uh, use keywords, tags, and so forth for my Google Alerts. And, and one of them is Accountable Care Organization. The other is ACO. And it never fails. I mean, every day there's a... <clears throat> Uh, 10, 15, 20 uh, uh, updates tagged to ACO, some of which are the city, <laughs> Acapulco, but most relate relate to healthcare. And um, we are, again, it's March 16th. The notice of proposed rules to implement the accountable care organizations, particularly with respect to the Medicare Shared Savings Program, were originally promised in in the fall of 2010. We are now approaching the end of Q1 2011. We still haven't seen them. There's rumor on the street from a fairly credible source that I put a considerable degree of stock in and who I hope to get on the program here um, in the uh, month of April that uh, those the initial round of proposed rules we can expect to see them on uh the twenty third of this month and for those of you who follow the drama of health reform and the legislative process, we'll know that that's the one year anniversary of the passage of the of the patient uh, uh protection and affordable care act so it would be interesting if there was some kind of symbolic release of them. The other interesting thing is um, Don Berwick, who I've referred to as a prince of a man, and, and I mean that in, 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 in no understated terms. He is just a brilliant, insightful, capable, talented, and he is at risk of not being formally appointed to the role of administrator of CMS. Um, I, I took a stand on that recently and started a blog, standforburwick.wordpress.com, uh, and noted the 42 senators who have signed a letter sent to President Barack Obama uh, basically alleged that he doesn't qualify be, for a number of reasons. He's you know controversial. Some of the things he said in the past, he's never led a large organization such as CMS, yada, yada, yada. Of the 42, there were five blank spaces of senators who did not sign that, three of which were women. God bless women. We need more of them in leadership positions. And so that's out there, too. So the back-channel stuff here around culture wars at CMS, is it the managed care division who's going to drive the formation and shaping of these rules? Is it the Part A, Part B, career agency people who know only you know, traditional Medicare, are they writing it? He's caught in the crossfire. They've got this whole Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation out there. Dynamos over at ONC, uh, Anish Chopra, Todd Park, making incredible inroads on the EHR, Health Information Exchange uh, uh, in that theater. I mean, there's so much going on, yet we're spending so much time replaying the past, relitigating that just awful experience of watching the Senate Finance Committee and some smart, capable people really whore themselves in the front of the public with absolutely spurious arguments about the, the efficacy, legitimacy of the law 
the approach to it and so forth. At any rate, sorry about the rant, but, uh, you know, ACOs are going to stay regardless of what happens in the, uh, in the space as to the final law, uh, post efforts to repeal or not fund it selectively or in its entirety. I don't see that happening. The state litigation that's pointing out another interesting situation, but the bottom line is we have a problem, folks. <laughs> and there's an awful lot of creativity, innovation inside of that law and lots of discretion for the secretary to anoint alternative delivery systems who hold promise for accountable care organization formation, whether it be of the primary care medical home variety or built on top of that as a core. Uh, we have tremendous opportunity to make a difference here. So it would be really uh, perhaps naively thinking it would be wonderful to corral all of that energy into inter innovation and transformation like you see at Health 2.0, the many health camps that are popping up across the country, the more recent conversation at uh, South by Southwest, the uh, the health track down there. There's uh, lots of uh, insight. There's lots of talent. There's lots of opportunity to crowdsource ideas and bring them together in a collaborative context and have them make a difference in this massive ecosystem known as the healthcare industry. So we are going to, uh, let's see, there's a couple articles here that I found interesting and saved if I can pull them up. Here's one. Um, um, this is newsworthy because it ties to ACO formation because ACOs are this distributed, in some cases, virtual entity with reach into the community. And uh, this was published uh, in is this? Information Week Healthcare, and it's titled, The Majority of Patients Want Online Access to Doctors. Uh, nearly three quarters of people who want to be able to get lab, who want to be able to get lab results, request appointments, pay medical bills, and communicate with their doctor's office through secure portals, finds Intuit Health in a study. As a growing number of Americans use the Internet to perform a variety of health-related tasks, a new study shows that nearly three-quarters of those polled say they want the convenience of having an online connection to their doctor's office. Go figure. <clears throat> These findings come from Intuit Health's second annual healthcare checkup survey, which found that 73% of Americans surveyed would use a secure online communication solution to make it easier to get lab results, request appointments, pay medical bills, and communicate with their doctor's office. You know, just ask Kaiser. <coughs> Excuse me. Doctors should take note of these trends, particularly since a connected office may determine the number of patients that, that they attend to. The survey also found that almost half the respondents would consider switching doctors to a practice that offered the ability to communicate and complete important healthcare tasks online. The survey, which was conducted in January by Decipher Research for Intuit Health, pulled 1,000 American adults online and confirmed what other studies have shown. Americans are increasingly turning to help to the Internet, are increasingly turning to the Internet for help to have them manage certain aspects of their care. Uh, clearly, this kind of electronic connectivity 
and nervous system, if you will, is central to the effectiveness of any uh, accountable care organization. Uh, their unicorn nature notwithstanding at the moment, it really has to reach into the community. It really has to enable connectivity. It really has to provide a feedback loop between the providers of care, the consumers of care, their experience in the process, monitoring and tracking uh, health status from end to end, and using it as a uh, real-time feedback loop to be better at what we do in terms of being the delivery system, in terms of being more accountable in terms of being more uh, referral, integrated, and connected, if you will. So that's what's happening in that article. Um, this other thing that caught my attention was published by uh, Kevin Poe, MD, at KevinMD.com. It's titled, Why Team-Based Primary Care Won't Help Evidence-Based Medicine Soon, which is kind of, huh, what's up with that title? He says, despite the advances in evidence-based medicine, not every patient benefits. In a recent column from the New York Times, Pauline Chen looks at a study showing exploring looks looks at a study showing exploring the issue. Sounds a little weird there. For many patients, evidence-based medicine isn't working. Two-thirds of patients with diabetes, a disease with some of the strongest evidence-based guidelines available, continue to have trouble controlling their blood sugar levels, and only half of all patients with hypertension, another well-studied disease, ever get their blood pressures under control. The reason? It suggested that the models used to treat patients, namely a clinic-based construct, don't account for how patients actually live their lives. According to the authors of the study from the Journal of Internal Medicine, evidence-based medicine ignores the impact of the patient's life at home and result in fractured and desultory care. To remedy the current system, they call for a fundamental shift in the way that primary care is practiced. They advocate an approach that blurs the traditional division between doctors' offices and communities. They call evidence-based health care. So one more time, it, we are fragmented, we are siloed, integrated delivery systems try and orchestrate that in a manner that makes more sense, yet... The 80-20 rule still applies here. 80% of the delivery system is still siloed, fragmented, discrete, discontinuous entities that don't necessarily talk or coordinate with one another. ACOs is about driving that integration. So are we using the best? Have we learned from the past? Do we have the right principles, P-A-L-S, in the conversation, applying the right principles, P-L-E-S, into the ACO conversation? Oh, big wild card there. Lots of mistakes made in the 90s, as Jeff said. We were in the process of recreating, if not by virtue of not remembering the past, recreating the same kind of mistakes here in 2011. So thanks for joining me today. Hope you enjoyed the broadcast. We will have uh, some uh, announcements to make, make shortly as to our April programs, but I've got some very talented people on tap, several of whom I met and spoke with in Orlando at the HIMSS conference. They have a lot to say on HCOs. So thanks again. Take care. See you next
the door to let me in. The shattered windows in the sand. 